We are in a series of messages called Words for Worship. And today we want to talk about and consider how we can change our mood by changing our music. Changing your mood by changing your music. There is no doubt music is powerful. There is no doubt not just what we see, but what we hear while we see what we see impacts the experience. I was thinking this week about how different uh, movies would be if the, if the soundtrack was different, if the score was different. Uh, think about some of the iconic movies. I, I made a little list of some of the movies that would just be so different if you took the soundtrack away. Think about Alfred Hitchcock's classic Psycho. If you didn't have that, right, it would just change the experience. If you, if you, in fact, here's a little hack. If you're ever scared in a movie, don't close your eyes, just close your ears. It, it, it takes the scariness away if you mute a movie that's frightening you. How about The Bodyguard? This is supposedly the, the number one best-selling soundtrack of all time. And of course, it's because of Whitney Houston's And I, I will always love yeah, right? She had a crush on Kevin Costner before Yellowstone. Amazing. Uh, I think about Donnie Darko. Super creepy, right? All around me are familiar faces. Mad world. Like, if you, if you, if you don't have that music, it just changes the whole thing. Now, the, the bunny rabbit costume is still going to be creepy, but some of you are very confused. Uh, I mean, what, what would singing in the rain be without singing in the rain? You think about... Uh, the James Bond or Mission Impossible movies without the iconic soundtrack and theme song. Just such a different experience. Uh, as well, The Godfather. I mean, just that iconic, slow mu music that sets the mood for it. I mean, would, would there even be the iconic Top Gun without Danger Zone or Take My Breath Away? I mean, these just they defined the movie. Uh, and then when it comes to the Disney Empire, right? I mean, Hakuna Matata, Circle of Life, right? I mean, these, these, I mean, would we even care about Encanto if it wasn't for, we don't talk about Bruno, right? I mean, just, it's the music, it's, it's the vibe, it gets stuck in your head, it alters, it alters what you're seeing and, and what you're, what you're feeling, no doubt. I was uh, interested a long time ago to read an interview with Steven Spielberg, where he said, you know, everyone, you know, celebrates some of the movies I've been a part of. He said, but at least half the credit for these movies should go to John Williams. At least half the credit for the movies that I made. I mean, Spielberg has just gone down in history as this iconic director and, and producer. Uh, you think about Jaws. But what would Jaws be without that frightening soundtrack, the, the music? It's just E and F, just two chords back and forth, two notes back and forth, E and F. But that's what freaks us all out whenever the shark is about to attack. John Williams is a beast. Home Alone, Harry Potter, Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park, Star Wars. Spielberg says, you wouldn't know me if it wasn't for him. So it's not just in life what we're seeing, it's also what we're hearing. It's also what we're listening to. And so we come to our subject at hand, and that is how to obey and fulfill the second most commanded uh, thing that we're supposed to do in all of the Bible. In every scripture verse, if you come through them and find a command, something we're told that we are to do, the number one thing is pray, but the second most, just behind that, is praise. How to worship God through singing. And so we're seeking in this series at how to get better at the thing that God built us 
to do. And we come to Psalm 98. Psalm 98, and we're going to stand together as we've been throughout this series as a way of just elevating our attention and our respect, building up adoration for God's Word. Some of you at home, you should stand up and, uh, and, and do that as you listen. If you're on the treadmill, just you're already doing it. Good job. It says in Psalm 98, and this is just called a psalm. And I love that because some are given specific circumstances under which they took place. But this one's just called a psalm, uh, which, is, which is awesome. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Come on, we learned about that last week. Come on, you, feel, you still excited about some Shabbat up in here? Shout joyfully. Jenny did such a great job with that. Man, I was touched. All the earth, break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness he shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. You may be seated. This has been called the Magnificat of the Old Testament. The Magnificat is this famous response that Mary, the mother of Jesus, had to the announcement from Gabriel that she was given the awesome responsibility of giving birth to our Savior, the Messiah. And of course, that stunned her like crazy. I mean, you can imagine you're planning your wedding. You're just, you know, excited. And, and then one day, Gabriel shows up. He's like, hey, got a job for you. God loves you. He thinks you're amazing. You're going to have a baby. And her objection was, of course, I've never known a man. I don't know if you know how this works, angel. Um, <laughs> that's not quite how this happens. First comes love, then comes, right, the marriage, then the baby in the baby carriage. And, uh, and, and Gabriel said, like, just... Just trust me. This is how God says it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is involved in this. And when the Holy Spirit is involved, impossible things can be done. So that's where our story starts. At impossible. So faith is always needed because human understanding will always look at the barriers. And we have to always elevate our perspective to the, to the spiritual, to the plane and the playing field of faith in order to get there, to get to where Mary got. So that's our quest. Our quest is to elevate our, our perspective from earthly to heavenly. And what we need to get there is what's been called the rightness of music. The rightness of music. 
And so that's what we're going to talk about today, because music elevates our perspective to that spiritual plane that stops us from just looking at the barriers of why this won't work, why this can't happen, why this, this shouldn't work, and gets us to that place of faith where we just say, God, if you said it, I believe it. In your name, impossible things can be done. So behold, the servant of the Lord. Music gives us something to look forward to. Something to look forward to. Mary thought life was going to go this way and that's all it would ever be. And Gabriel said, oh, oh no, you're going down in history. You're a part of something bigger. We need to elevate your understanding of what can happen. This is how the Holy Spirit works. And God worked in her heart through that. God worked in her womb through that. And of course, she gets pregnant with Jesus. And when she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who's also conceived a baby in her old age, whose name was John the Baptist, Mary shows up and the baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb just as she hears Mary's greeting. Mary's like, hey, Elizabeth. And Mary's like, Whoo. the baby's like, Whoo. John the Baptist, Whoo. this this wild baby who would have an affinity for locusts and wild honey and wear camel skin and, a, and, a, and, a, and a just have a whole radical demeanor in life. He just starts kicking around in there like it's a Slim Jim commercial, just getting wild in the womb. And Elizabeth realizes something's going on and it happened as the voice of Mary, which was carrying her Savior, uh, was heard in her ears. And she realized what was happening. That even in the womb, John the Baptist knew the sound of his Savior. He knew that Jesus was to feed us, to lead us. And so he leapt. Do you see that? Even as a baby, John knew that a right response of worship is to leap. Is a physical reaction. It was a halal reaction there in the womb. He wasn't composed. We couldn't hear it because he was in water. The amniotic fluid kept us from hearing the shabak that came from Elizabeth's womb. That John the Baptist was giving a head-to-toe expression of his joy at the one that he came to this world to straighten the way for and to prepare the way for as he sent him into the world. And so on the spot, Mary wrote a very famous song, and it's been called the Magnificat, this, this expression of, of giving glory to God, her Savior. And many people believe it was inspired by Psalm 98 that she wrote her Magnificat. Thus, it's titled the Magnificat of the Old Testament, this outburst of praise that helps us to get our head around the fifth of seven words in the Hebrew translated in the English as praise. And it's our quest to understand all seven so we can use them all and get the benefit out of every tool and have them all added to our toolbox so we can use them when we need to. This word is the word zamar. Zamar is to celebrate in song and music involving the touching of strings or parts of a musical instrument, in other words, playing it, to make music accompanied by the voice as you sing forth praises. 
And that is what we find in this song that was in the heart of our Savior's mother while she carried him in her womb. How special is that? Verse 5 says, sing or zamar, so it's translated as sing there, to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a zamar. Only here it's translated as psalm. So zamar is basically how we describe music. When you or I say music, what are we talking about? Well, according to the dictionary, it's the, the, the voice of a person combined with the sound of an instrument. And when you combine those things, you're producing beauty of form, harmony, and obviously an expression of emotion. So this word zamar, which is used 45 times in the Bible, it's showing up, uh, starts in the book of Exodus and literally works its way through the Old Testament, is the, com the combination of the sound of musical instruments and the addition of the human voice. It's translated sometimes as we saw, sing, sometimes it's translated as psalm, sometimes it's translated as song, and sometimes, yes, it gets translated as praise. And it really is uh, a, a range of, of musical expression as we sing to God. And it shows uh, the biblical reason why we have instruments, why we have all these different instruments. In the Psalms, it talks about some that were unique to their culture. They had horns and they have strings and, and they had drums and they had cymbals. And you'll find those all through the Psalms. And of course, we have these instruments that, that, that allow us to take notes, to take chords and to blend them together, these notes, in such a way that we have for our voices a chariot to take them to heaven. Come on, that's the purpose of music. It's a, it's a vehicle for our praise to ride on. We zamar as we sing accompanied by music. This, I think, is what Paul had in his heart when he said in Ephesians 5 that we're to live in the Spirit, speaking to one another and what? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We have to understand the incredible power of music. That's the first of three things we're going to talk about today. And I want you to see them all so you can just kind of get a roadmap of where we're going. We're going to talk about the power of music, the past of music, and the future of music. As we understand why it's so powerful to sing to God through this expression, zamar, to combine our voices together with musical instruments that are being skillfully played, there's something powerful that happens. So let's talk about the power of music. Why is it so moving? Why isn't it the same to watch Jaws and to watch Jaws with Na -na, na -na, na -na, na -na, right? I mean, it all ends the same. She still gets chomped no matter how you hear it. So why does it so drastically change the experience? Why would watching Dangerous Minds without Coolio's voice just absolutely devastate? I had to. Come on, I had to. In honor of a fallen legend. All right? So I look through the valley of the shadow of death. I look at my life, realize there's nothing left, right? Anyhow, here we go. Um, and here's why. Here's why. Because music is powerful. And I'm going to give you some headings to jot down under this one. A, it softens hard hearts. The music, and not just what we're singing, but, but the music that, that accompanies the, the truth that we're exalting, it softens hard hearts. 
hearts. Music taps into emotions. Music, it, it, just, it just changes. Something inside of us resonates when we hear music. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher uh, who we have referenced in this series, he told a story that I heard repeated by Pastor Tim Keller uh, about a man who was walking by his church building where Martin Lloyd-Jones used to preach in, in England, and he was on his way to commit suicide by jumping into the Thames River. And that was what he was going to do that night. And he had just decided life was not worth living. And so heading to this bridge to jump into the river, he happened to pass by the church building. And as he did, through an open window, he heard the praise songs. He heard the hymns. He heard the, the songs rising up, these voices riding the notes on their way to heaven, rising like incense. And having decided already in his mind, this is it, life is over, he said he was arrested and stopped in his tracks and almost annoyed by the fact that he realized through hearing what he was hearing, he didn't want to kill himself anymore. And he's like, wait, I want to live. He didn't hear a sermon. He didn't, he didn't hear a, a single word a preacher had to say. He, he heard the voices. He heard the, the, the shouts. He heard the singing of the people. And something in the music made him realize life is worth living. There's something that softens hard hearts. He ended up turning around, going in and attending the church service where he later became a member of the church. Praise God for the life-saving power of music. There is something about it. Music seems to evangelize. Music seems to, to tell us inside of our hearts there is a God. There is such an order to music. The way musical chords work, the rules by which music operates, there's something about it that just tells us on the inside there is a God. There is certainly beauty. It's not just random. There's design. This pulls at us. To reference another famous composer, Leonard Bernstein, who in the 50s uh, composed the soundtrack for the movie West Side Story, he referred back to Beethoven. And he himself being secular and his understanding of the world just completely human and not even thinking about God at all, he almost was frustrated as he said, Beethoven turned out pieces of breathtaking rightness. Rightness. As in, there's something right about how, how the world seems when I hear this. Rightness, that's the word, he said. Our boy has the real goods. The stuff from heaven. The power to make you feel at the finish that something is right in the world. There is something that checks throughout, that follows its own law consistently. Something we can trust that will never let us down. What was he saying? He's saying, I don't even want to believe in God, but when I listen to Beethoven play, I wish I could. The music was pulling and tugging at him. Why? Music softens hard hearts. And that's why in Acts 16, it was as Paul and Silas were singing and worshiping, the Bible says the other prisoners listened in eagerly. Your zamar is not just for you. It might be meant to save the life of somebody next to you. So we must not be selfish with our praise. Music, secondly, is powerful, B, because it soothes our souls. 
It soothes weary souls that are tired, that are worn down, or that have fallen into bad moods. Honesty in church. Anybody here deal with bad moods? Anybody in a bad mood right now, right? It's like, yeah, some of, some of you, but it's funny is if, if you think about it, if you've been giving yourself over to praise, can you say perhaps that even just the singing elevated that mood? Even that person, have you ever had that experience walking out of a concert or walking out of, out of singing that something changed in your mood, that something changed in your spirit? I used to, to think about how, how moodiness just played such a, a prominent part of my story, especially in high school. And something would set me off, something would just trigger me and put me on edge. And, and, and I, I had art class for my final period one year in high school. And I had an art teacher named Mrs. Losey who would allow us to, to bring a CD player and to listen to music while we painted. And if she wasn't giving some sort of a lesson or instruction, we were allowed to just put music on. And it was so funny how consistently I would be in a bad mood all day, but something about ending the class, listening to music and painting would just unlock something. And so many times I would go away from art class just in a different frame of reference than I went in when the whole day I was just mad and I can't believe them and this world is unfair and just angry and irritated and upset and bent out of shape. But all of a sudden it just unlocks them. Why? Because music soothes our souls. There's something of a lullaby inside of music. That means that you really can change your mood by changing your music, by changing what you're listening to. And the classic text for this is 1 Samuel 16. Now, many of you think about David and Goliath when you think about this passage of Scripture, this real estate. But before that, we're told that Saul was dealing with moodiness, deal dealing with difficulties, dealing with these bad moods, and it came as a result of his sin. So sometimes our choices can cause there to be moods that we're dealing with. We have to examine what we're choosing to do, what we're choosing to partake of, who we're around, all of these things. But the response to his team was, verse 15, with this distressing spirit from God troubling you, let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand whenever the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. His servant responded, Look, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. That's just thrown out there. <laughs> and the Lord is with him. I love this text for a lot of reasons that are not pertinent or germane to our focus today. Because here's David out there in obscurity, we know, out there in the field, having no idea that people are ever going to be seeking him out. But he's choosing to focus his attention on his worship. He's choosing to hone his craft, his, his, his work, his occupation, which is being a shepherd, which he chose to do as best as he possibly could even going above and beyond the call of duty at times, doing things that you could arguably say he shouldn't have even done. They could have written off the sheep that got eaten by the bear, written off the sheep that got eaten by the lion, but he chose to put himself into harm's way each time to save them. 
And he chose to develop this skill, this ability that he had of, of playing his musical instrument. And so diligently did he uh, do this that when the king's servants, now think about it, if you're the king's servants and you're going to find musicians to play for the royal audience, you're going to get the best of the best of the best. He had no idea they were looking for him. He had no idea they were out there combing through the countryside for him. But he had so developed his abilities that when they came looking, everybody they talked to said, if you want the best harpist that there is out there, he's in Bethlehem. His name is David. So don't you dare think that today you developing your abilities or developing your skills in one area isn't going to bless you down the road. You have no idea when God is going to be ready to elevate you. So in secret, in the shadows, in this hidden place now, just before the Lord, develop your skills, your ability. And this has repercussions for what we would call ministry. This has repercussions for what we would call occupational, vocational, uh, bringing glory to God by what you do at work. So just develop yourself and let God increase you when he's ready. Had David not been a good harp player, had phoned in and skipped lessons when they went searching for him, they never would have heard his name referenced. He never would have been brought in to stand before the king. But from this moment forward, whenever Saul would get into a bad mood, David would play his harp. How powerful is that? That it was a sin and the mood would go away. That in changing what he was hearing, it changed how he was feeling. Zamar, the combination of, of a sound, and a praise that can change what's going on. God knows music is powerful. It can soothe your spirit. It can unlock things inside of you that have gotten tense. This, by the way, became so a part of how David lived his life that it became synonymous with him. In fact, you probably noticed it but didn't even notice what you were seeing. 2 Samuel 23, verse 1, when David came to die, how is he eulogized? These are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob. And notice the sweet Zamarist of Israel. The sweet Zamarist of Israel. Remember, not just for killing Goliath and being mighty in the battlefield and bringing the ark back to Jerusalem and defeating the Philistines, and having his mighty men go out and do all their exploits, killing Goliath's four giant brothers, but wanting to be remembered for his Zamar. What, what, th these are not two different things, though. I believe his great warrior exploits were made possible by his worshipful spirit. And so you and I, if we can get control of the battle in here, we will be powerful in the battles out there. Anybody believe it in Jesus' name? Music, C, is powerful because it switches our frequencies. I already made reference to this, but it takes us, like, like Mary went from an earthly realm, here's what's possible to me, here's what's possible for a man, and it shifts me to a higher plane. It taps me into Gabriel. Nothing shall be impossible with God, honey. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. Once the Holy Spirit is in, involved, impossible things can 
be done. And then we at the higher level get to go, behold the maidservant of the Lord. Behold the manservant of the Lord. In other words, let's play ball. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's see your plan come to pass in my life. Here's my Magnificat. Here's my Zamar. Here's my praise to you. I want to strike a symbol. I want to play an instrument. There's just something about it to switch our frequencies. One of my favorite passages in the Bible that just showcases this took place when there was an alliance of three kings who were standing together to fight against the enemy people coming at them from Moab. Let me read it to you. 2 Kings 3. So the king of Israel, that's number one, the alliance, number one, with the king of Judah, number two, and the king of Edom, that's number three. They marched out on that roundabout route for seven days, but there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. The king of Israel cried out, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here? What is this, a nonprofit organization, bro? <laughs> that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, answered and said, Well, pff, denigrating him, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. But then almost as contempt, with contempt, he said, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Translation, he's David taking care of the sheep, developing his skills at the harp. All he did is just, just serve in secret. He's not the great man of God like Elijah, who's getting all this attention. He's just a <laughs> servant, which is by the way, how Elisha became so formidable, so powerful, doing twice as many miracles, by the way, as his master Elijah did. He would famously part water, but he only got to part water because here, as it said, he was willing to pour water. And a servant like Jesus, who poured water into a basin to wash feet, pours water. And are you willing to pour water? Are you willing to, to be humble? Are you willing to serve? Because as it's been said, if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead at the level God wants you to lead. Greatness in this upside down kingdom is serving. So Elisha's here. Yeah, there's a prophet, but it's not even a good one. Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. It's not about who I get to talk to. It's not about who comes. It's about what he's communicating. God's word is the issue. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. I wish I could talk more about that. So powerful. But I can't. Good thing I get to preach here often. So I'll get to it eventually. Verse 13, then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. He, was, he didn't have a lot of respect for the king of Israel. But the king of Israel said to him, no, 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 for the Lord has called these three kings to stand together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not even look at you nor see you. So the other two kings are going to get blessed because of Jehoshaphat's righteousness. Could you be that in your workplace? Could you be that in your classroom? Could you be that in your neighborhood? Could you be the blessing that extends to those who are living wicked, sinful lives? Maybe God has sent you into such a dark place. Maybe God has sent you into such a godless place to be that Jehoshaphat who other people are going to get blessed just because you work there. But now, verse 15, 
I'm ready to prophesy. Notice, he says, bring me a musician. Bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. Do you see what's happening here? Elisha, in this tough ministry responsibility, wants to hear from God, so he needs to switch frequency. So he realizes there needs to be some praise that gets him and them ready to hear the word of the Lord. Why do we involve praise before we open up God's word? Because it gets us ready. It shifts us to behold the maidservant of the Lord. Behold the manservant of the Lord. It, it gives us something to look forward to. As the words open, there's a receptivity in our hearts that something's been touched by the music, by the notes. It builds preparation inside of our hearts. The text goes on. He actually gives the prophecy. We don't have time to, to give the whole thing, but he basically said, I want you to dig ditches everywhere you can. You're thirsty, your horses are dying, you're, you don't have any water, dig some ditches. Again, seems stupid, that is a bad idea. If we dig a bunch of ditches, we're going to sweat. If we sweat, we're going to die. But he knew that there was a big flood coming through, and the water would only remain where they had dug deep. And they would have the pools to drink from if they used their last energy, their last bit of life digging these pools. And they would wake up in the morning and have all they needed if they were willing to dig deep. Matthew Henry said, and I quote, those that expect God's blessings must prepare room for them. Some of you wouldn't have room to receive any of what God wants to do because you're not doing the things that seem stupid and seem impossible by faith. And it's, it's, it's our sacrifice of praise. It's giving when it doesn't make sense. These things dig deep ditches for the, the water to go into. The grooves that God can fill with what he wants to send down the road. It's the, the switching of frequencies that we need. That's that, that great hymn, the things of this world grow strangely dim. It's worship music, it's praise, it's zamar, it's the, it's the song, it's that rising that all of a sudden goes, hold on, it snaps us out of the fog that makes us feel like here on life, how, where am I in my career? How am I, how, how's my standing? How do I compare to other people? Well, how could I get a better gig if I went over there and made something happen? It, it brings us back into a, a spiritual, faith-filled focus. Praise D psychs us up. It psychs us up. It gets, like we heard last week, our game face on. It gets us ready for that rugby match. It's that shout. It's that song. It's that war cry as Jenny gave to us in that brilliant message last week by reminding us, who are we? We are the Titans, the mighty, mighty Titans, right? It just, it gets us ready to go. Who are we? Where, where, where are we from? What's our kingdom? What's our home? This is our home. Come on, we have to defend it. Another great John Williams movie, Home Alone. He did all the songs in that one. This is my house. I have to defend it. It's that war cry. It psychs us up for battle. Bono once said, in the dressing room before the U2 shows, me and the guys would get together and read Eugene Peterson's Psalms as a band. And then we would be ready to walk out into arenas and stadiums. The words of, that he wrote, igniting us, inspiring us. He said it wasn't sermons that converted his heart to following Jesus. It was worship. And it doesn't just psych us up because it gets us like hyped. Though that's a part of it. It also changes our expectation. 
A study was done in 2011 where people were asked to look at different faces and then asked afterwards when they were not looking at them anymore, was the face smiling or frowning? And they did the experience with and without music. And they found while listening to upbeat music, you are far more likely to say the person was smiling, even at times if it was just a flat neutral face and there was no smile there. And they were more likely to say the person was frowning if they were listening to sad, melancholy, dashboard confessional type music. The point is mood and music are intertwined in such a way that it actually changes your expectation of what you're going to see. So what a thought to think that we can choose to start our week and to start our day with a spirit of praise that will cause us to believe we're going to see better things than we even are that week. When there's songs in our souls, we're going to interpret the people in our lives that maybe are frowning, oh, they're not so bad, and people that are neutral, they're actually smiling. We're going to see better things. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Look for the bad. You'll find it. Look for the good. You'll find that as well. Praise makes it easier to do that. That's why we quoted Martin Luther a few weeks back in our Ghosted series, talking about music deserving the highest praise next to the Word of God. Its ability to comfort the sad, terrify the happy, encourage the despairing, humble the proud, calm the passionate, appease those full of hate. How powerful music is. It remains a language without words. And at E, can set things right that are broken, that are misplaced. It can set things right inside of you. Indeed, music is medicine. In a dry and thirsty land, I have searched for you. I seek for you like someone searches for water. I'm going to lift up this song to you. I'm going to give you praise. You, you're worthy of cymbals and drums and guitars and beats and tracks. I'm going to sing to you because I need you. Your love is better than life. In Chinese, the symbol for medicine includes the symbol for music. There's something to that. Music is inside of medicine. And you can Google it on your own, how good music is for you, how different the experience is being a patient in a hospital where music is played, what an effect it can have on Alzheimer's, what an effect it can have on blood pressure, what an effect it can have on slowing down a rapid heartbeat. I guess you don't need to Google it. I just gave you some of the best hits. Studies have been done at John Hopkins and Harvard and in the Journal of the American Medical Association pointing to music, uh, raising rates of immu immunoglobulin A and all sorts of other things that are just really good for you. Music is medicine. That's why God tells us to praise him. In part, he knows the power of it. How would he know all that? All right, now we wind the message down with our final two phases. He knows this is true because of the past of music, the past of music, what do you mean the past of music? Well, we're in the present of music. There was a past. Past to our history as a planet. Past to our history as a civilization. That is to say that when God was creating the world, there was music. Job tells us that clearly. That the morning stars sang for joy as God created the world. This is in part why music tugs at us the way it does. Something was hardwired into us. Why is Leonard Bernstein saying, the stuff of heaven seems to be what I feel when I hear great music. That's how it was built. And there's something still on it that we can't help but feel traces of it as we come, we get almost like a contact high in, in, in engaging in music to think of the angels and the stars themselves singing as God created. Proverbs 8, 
wisdom is personified. And of course, we know this is in the person of Jesus, God's agent to create the world. And music was daily a part of the story, rejoicing before him as God laid the foundations of this world, rejoicing in his inhabited world, his delight with the sons of men as God made us. He was singing. Think of it. Singing as he made you. It was a soundtrack to creation. So it is in the future of music, our third and final phase. And this we read, but we can spend the least amount of time on because we, we understand it the least. But it seems to be the case that when we get and step into God's new creation, the new heavens and the new earth that we will live in forever with new bodies and God's presence and everything's been renewed, that something of the original creation will be unlocked again. Like that scene from Wreck-It Ralph where King Candy's banished. Now everything goes right again. And now our full features have been unlocked. There's no more glitch anymore. No more glitch. No more seizures. Cancer. No more AIDS. No more, no more car accidents. No more glitch. No more asthma. The lion's lying down with the lamb. And in that moment... The psalmist said, the rivers are going to keep the beat as they clap their hands. And in that moment, in that coming day, the symphony of all creation, almost this beautiful fantasia-like scene, the hills will be joyful and sing out to God. To think about the future of music. It's in our past. Our souls know that even if we don't want to. It's like, I don't want to believe in God, but I, I'm almost forced to believe in things I theoretically shouldn't when I hear it. It's prophetic pointing to where music will lead one day. And in between that moment and this, we're meant to use our imagination to begin where we, to end where we began. I think one of my favorite details about the movie Jaws, which, ha which has been considered one of the best movies ever made, thanks to John Williams and Spielberg and Richard Dreyfuss and a whole bunch of others, you have something not working right that was responsible for it, its success. In many of the behind-the-scenes interviews and stories you can see, they actually were frustrated because Bruce, the name of the shark that they had built to operate, was broken. If you do the Universal Studios backlot tour, you can see the broken Bruce shark. It, they had this animatronic shark that was actually going to come up out of the water and actually scare everybody, and it didn't work. The day of filming, those scenes, it never did what they designed it to do. And so they had to improvise. And the improvisation was to not show it ever. So it's, it's actually amazing. I mean, throughout most of the movie, you never see the shark. You just hear those two notes. You just hear, do do. And it actually made it far more scary than had you seen that ghetto, broken, not-so-good shark. It's scary because the music invokes our imagination. And I think God knows the power of music, not only to imagine the heavenly scene of trees clapping their hands, hills rejoicing. Jesus said the stones will cry out if we don't but also the power of that to overcome the negative sides of our human imagination. All this week I was thanking God for Delirious, Martin Smith, and 
the other boys in that band who really opened up the gates for so much of the, the praise music, the worship music, the Christian music we hear today. When I was in uh, my freshman year of high school, newly saved, I had traumatic night terrors and a really hard time going to sleep. And uh, the fear that would come upon me in the night, thick in my room, I think there was certainly demons involved. And, and I was newly saved, but I think the enemy was trying to smother my new faith, smother and, and really suffocate my life. And I would have such fear at night. And my only weapon was this delirious CD off a project they released in 1996 called Live and in a Can. And it was a CD that actually came in a tin can. And you'd open the lid, there was all these songs inside it. And one of them was, what a friend we found. What a friend I found. And it was five minutes and nine seconds that I would put in my boom box and I would hit repeat one on the CD player. And that would allow that one song to play over and over again. And words like hallelujah, I didn't even realize I was listening to halal, y'all, as he would talk about hallelujah. And it was just exalting Jesus. But it wasn't just the words themselves. It was something about the notes. It was something about the space there. And I cannot tell you how many times my fearful frenzy would unlock. And I would be able to believe that in my room, I can go to sleep. You see, the devil wants to wreak havoc on your life through your imagination. It's going to happen to my kids. It's going to happen to me. I'm 40 and not married yet. What's, we play out these scenarios. We're afraid of car accidents. We're worried about all these things. God wants us to unleash the power of holy imagination as we can imagine what's true. And that is that God stands guard over your bed while you sleep so you can rest. And that is that God has sent angels to stand watch over your house so you don't have to fear the things that go bump in the night. Because greater is he who was in us than he that is in the world. And the music tells us that. And we can almost hear the sound of creation and listen to the sound of revelation. And in between, we can join in this beautiful chorus of Zamar. Father, we thank you for the gift of music. It really is a gift. One that we, at times, only receive the negative results of as we've chosen to fill our heads and hearts with so many songs that aren't bad, but just worthless. But even in those songs, there's still something of the music itself that points us to you. So help us, God, to see that you have given us so much when it comes to the songs we sing and the music we listen to. If you're here today and you would say, listening, watching this message, that this was for you, you needed this today. Could you just let God know that by raising up a hand? God, I'm afraid. God, I'm hurting. God, I need to change my mood by changing what I hear. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Help us all to prophesy. May all God's children prophesy as we unlock this gift of praise. Bless these in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would say, you know, I've never entered into a relationship with God. But hearing this, I, I feel compelled, like that man who went from death to life, to say, that's what I want. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to perish. I don't want to live a life of despair. I want to open my life to the blessing, to the calling of walking with Jesus. If that's you I'm describing, I want you to pray a prayer with me. 
I'm going to ask our church family to pray it with us. It's not this prayer that can save you. It's Jesus' death on the cross. It's his resurrection. It's his salvation that's going to be unleashed as you put your faith into his hands. But prayer is how we vocalize those things, participate in them. So say this. These are sacred words that have been prayed by millions upon millions of people the world over. But today they're your words. They're special. They mean something. Dear God, I've done wrong. I'm broken. I'm lost. I need hope. I put my life in your hands. Please come into my heart and help me join the song of all creation. In Jesus' name.